We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. I want to jump right in this morning, so why don't you grab your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we are in week seven and our final week of our series, A Call to Die. In this series, we have been unpacking and looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And listen, I don't know about you, but this series has been, yes, an encouragement, but very much a challenge to me in my walk with the Lord Uh, So many of you have told me what a challenge and an encouragement it has been to you as well through emails and texts and out in the hall and in the lobby. And um, it has just seemed to have kind of hit home with us as uh, the people here at New Beginnings. And and here's what it's reminded me of. It has reminded me of the gravity and the weight of being a disciple of Jesus. It is a costly thing that we're a part of as disciples of Jesus, right? Jesus didn't cover it up. He said, hey, to follow me means you're going to do this. You are going to deny yourself and die to yourself, and then you're going to take up a cross, and you're going to follow after me. It was an invitation to come and to die. But the other thing that I've learned through here, and the other thing that has been such a, uh, uh, just a uh, an encouragement to my heart is not only is it a, a costly thing to be a disciple, but it is also the highest measure of freedom and joy that I will ever have in this world. It is the highest measure of freedom and joy that I will ever have in this world. And I can endure hardship and I can endure persecution and I don't have to fear because I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Listen, Being a disciple of Jesus is not a half-hearted mission, right? We don't halfway do this. It is a, being a disciple of Jesus is a wholehearted, uh, fully vested, all-in pursuit of Jesus in order to become more like Jesus so that, listen, we might declare the value and worth of Jesus. Now, y'all are so quiet this morning, it's frustrating me already, okay? Here's what I just said. I said, being a disciple of Jesus is a wholehearted, fully vested, all-in venture where we pursue the greatest treasure in the universe, who is Jesus Christ, and in doing that, in the hopes and in the, in the promise of becoming more like Jesus so that we can go and declare the incomparable value and worth of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been called to do. And in Matthew chapter 13, here's what we see. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he is unpacking this idea of the kingdom, and he's teaching them in parables. Now, parables was uh, one of Jesus' favorite ways to teach. A parable is a, a story or 
a teaching aid that Jesus would use to illuminate some divine truth, some divine truth. And so what he would do, he would take something that was known, uh, uh, oftentimes maybe a farmer in the seed or the mustard seed or, or the leaven that goes in bread or a fig tree. He would take something that was known, something they understood, and he would use it to illuminate or illustrate a truth that was unknown, like the kingdom of God. And so um, that, that's what he did. Uh, one guy I read this week said parables were earthly stories with divine uh, purpose um, or divine meaning. And so Jesus was the master at using parables. And so that's what we see here this morning in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 44. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down, and they sorted the good into the containers, but threw the bad, threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. God, I'm asking this morning um, that you would illuminate your word. God, I ask every week, but I'm asking again today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to this truth today. God, whatever the divine truth is, you are, you are wanting to reveal to us and illustrate for us and illuminate in our hearts through these stories. Would you do that, God? Would it be unmistakable, undeniable, and will we be changed by it? So, Father, come. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, move in power. We pray it in your precious name. Amen. So, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, um, here's what we see. Jesus and his disciples are surrounded by this great crowd of people, this huge crowd of people, and that was not unusual for Jesus. Everywhere he went... There tend to be, tended to be a, a, a large crowd around him. And anytime you see these large crowds around Jesus, you can bet that there's three kinds of people in them. The first people that are going to be in there are people who have seen what he's done. They've heard the things he's taught, and they have now believed that he is who he says he is, that this is the Messiah, this is him. They, they're believers. They've seen, they've heard, they've believed. There's also a group of people in, in these large groups. There's also some who have seen and heard uh, but they're, they're just interested. They're fascinated. These are the people, I think, who uh, when the woman at the well ran back into town, you remember, and she started telling everybody, you got to come and see this guy who told me everything about me. you got to come meet him. These are the people who were just interested in who Jesus was and what he was saying. So believers and then those who were just interested in him. But there was always this third group of people. Every time there was a large crowd around, there was always those who were against him. These were, these were the Sanhedrin these were the Pharisees. They, were all, they always had their people in these groups because they were always trying to catch Jesus in some sort of error in his teaching or get him to say something that wasn't in uh, uh, harmony with God's word because they always wanted to try and disqualify him from what he was doing. And so 
These crowds are always made up of that. And Jesus is here with his disciples, and there is this large crowd. The crowd is so large, what God's word tells us is he can't be seen and heard. So what he does is he gets on a boat, and he pushes off just a little bit offshore. And with the great crowd on the beach, he sits on the bow of the boat, and he begins to teach them. And through Matthew chapter 13, he teaches through seven different parables. And all of these stories, every one of them, have the same theme. And the theme is this, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. That's the theme. And so this is going to be the theme for us today. So as we're getting ready to dive in, the first thing that I want us to do is gain an understanding of what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? And here's what I believe it is. I believe the kingdom of God is the sovereign, supreme rule and reign of God and of Christ over everything in the universe. That's what I believe the kingdom of God is. It is the sovereign, supreme rule and reign of God and of Christ over everything in the universe. Here's the other part that is the kingdom of God. It is the triumphing of God through the cross of Christ over everything that would stand between you and I and everlasting life and joy with him. So it is the sovereign rule of God over everything, and it is the triumphing of God over everything that would separate us from eternal life and joy with him. That's the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is teaching this large crowd and his disciples all the way through Matthew chapter 13. And, and while he's in this crowd, while he's got all these people here, he is using parables and stories that focus on how the kingdom of God is received, how it grows, and how it affects everything around it, everything it touches. That's the parable of the sower and of the weeds and of the mustard seed and of the leaven that you can go back and read. But in verse 36, it kind of shifts. And what happens is Jesus leaves the crowds and he goes into a house with his disciples and he begins to teach just them. So now it's, they're in the house, the crowd's away, and it's just Jesus and his 12. And he's teaching just them. And it's here uh, that the nature of the teaching begins to change. Now, Jesus is still teaching using parables, but in verse 44 through 50, he begins to focus on something a little different. He begins to teach his disciples the value and the worth of the kingdom of God. He begins to teach them the value and worth and the coming reign of the kingdom of God. Now, immediately a question that occurs in my mind is, why does Jesus wait until he has his disciples out of the crowd, in the house, alone, and to give them this teaching of the value of the kingdom of God? Why does he wait till he has this in private to begin to unpack for them the incomparable worth of the gospel and of the kingdom? And I think the reason is this, and it has application for us. It is this, because the disciple of Jesus Christ, by the way, that's us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. The disciple of Jesus Christ, in order to walk the road of radical surrender, in order to obey the call to come and die, which is what this call to discipleship is, the disciple must understand the value and worth of the kingdom. They must understand that. Why? Because if the cost is high, and Jesus, again, never 
sugar-coated the cost. He always said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to deny yourself, die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's the cost. And for a disciple to do that faithfully for the rest of their life, they must understand that the cost is worth it. They must understand the value of the kingdom and of the gospel. I believe that for a disciple in Jesus Christ, this is a measuring stick in our life. What do I mean by that? I mean that the worth and the value that we place on the gospel and on the kingdom of God is both the evidence of and the sustenance for our call to discipleship. I'm going to say that again. The value and the worth that we place on the kingdom of God is the evidence of being a disciple and what sustains us in the journey of being a disciple. So how does the world know if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because I value the kingdom above everything else. The value and worth I place on the kingdom is the evidence that I'm his. Now, in this walk that we have, this, this call to come and die that's going to cost me everything, how do I do that for the lifelong journey that it is in the pursuit of Jesus, which is the greatest treasure uh, in, in the universe? How do I do that without failing, without falling? I value the kingdom above everything else. It's the evidence of and the sustenance for this call to be disciples of Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus understands with these disciples that they must have an understanding and, and, and a value for the kingdom of God if they're going to go out into the world and declare that value to others. If I'm going to trust these men the way he's trusting us to go out among the wolves as sheep and declare the gospel, we have to understand the value and worth of the gospel. So I think that's why he's doing that. That's why he's pulled them in. You know, I have, uh, I have an appreciation for art. I love art. I love looking at beautiful paintings or drawings or sculpting or pottery. I do because it's, it's so beyond any skill that I possess to create anything. Anybody else? This is just beyond it. I can't do it. But I see it and I go, wow, that's really, that's really amazing. This morning I have three pieces of uh, pottery that I've got up here this morning. And these were made by my good friend, uh, Terry Dempsey. And Terry is a gifted artist. He's a painter. He's a drawer. He, is, uh, he does crazy painting stuff with light. And he's also a potter, just in case you need one more reason to be frustrated about how creative and cool he is. And um, he, he made these things. And I'm, I've been looking at them for weeks, and I'm still floored at how beautiful they are and how creative they are. Now, see, I can look at these pieces of pottery, and I really do admire them. I think they're beautiful. But what I can tell you is that my appreciation for them and my valuing of them in comparison to Terry's is rather small. Here's why. Because Terry is the artist, which means what? It means... Terry's the one who had a motivation for creating these. He's the one that got a vision for what he wanted them to look like. Terry is the one that went and harvested the clay 
to make them. Then he brought that clay and he sorted out all of the sand and the unwanted sediment that was in that clay so that the clay was just right. And then he took that clay and he put it on a wheel and began to form and shape what he had in his mind. And then once he had that, he began to mix the colors and to create uh, exactly how he wanted them to be finished. And then he fired them in the kiln and he took them through the finishing processes. Terry has seen something in these that I could never see, which means this. He could declare to you a value and a worth of these pieces that I never could. But that's the invitation we've received from Jesus as his disciples. It is this, to come and see the treasure of the kingdom of God the way the God of the kingdom sees the treasure. If y'all are this quiet all morning, I will preach till 2 o'clock, I promise. (laughs) I got, I've cleared my calendar. This is all I'm doing, okay, until we get fired up. I'm telling you, we have been invited by Jesus Christ to come and see the treasure of the kingdom of God the way the God of the kingdom sees the treasure. That's what we've been invited to do, to come and see the incomparable value and infinite worth of the kingdom of God. And it's an invitation So that when we see it, we have the urgency to go show it to others. And that's the first point I want us to touch on this morning is this. The disciple sees the kingdom of God as the treasure. Not as a treasure, but as the treasure. Look again at verse 44 of Matthew 13. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found, covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So here we see the kingdom is being described as both a treasure and a pearl of great price. Jesus is, again, painting a picture of the kingdom as something of tremendous value and worth, something so valuable that when it is seen, when it is discovered, it changes everything in the life of the one who finds it. That's the picture he's painting. In uh, 1987, uh, which doesn't seem that long ago, You ever have one of those moments you say a date and you go, yeah, I have a lot of memories from that date because it's really not that long ago. And then you realize half the world was born way after that date and you're like, oh my gosh. Anyway, it's literally not in the notes. In 1987, uh, the Atlantic Journal ran an article uh, about a man named Rob Cutshaw. Rob Cutshaw. And Rob was uh, a man who lived in North Carolina and he was what they called a rock hound. What that meant was... Rob would go up into the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina, and he would look for interesting rocks and, and things that he could dig out and then sell to collectors or, or jewelers and try to make a little money. He never made any real money. He had a real job. He kind of did this just to make some side money, but that's what he would do. He would go and try to find interesting rocks that he could sell. And uh, he was on a dig in the summer of 1969, and he's digging around like he always does, and he comes across uh, this rock that's kind of a big blue chunk of a rock. And to him, 
It looked really beautiful. So he, he, he kind of mines it out, he gets it, and he takes it home, he tries to sell it, nobody wants to buy it. But he was convinced that he could get at least $500 for it. But, but he told the, the journalist who wrote the article that if somebody would have offered him 200 bucks, he would have sold it in a heartbeat. He would have sold it just like that. And, but because no one wanted to buy it, it went under his bed for years. <clears throat> under his bed. That is how close Rob Cutshaw came to selling for a few hundred dollars what turned out to be the largest and most valuable sapphire ever found. Ever. The blue rock that Rob put under his bed was now known as the Star of David Sapphire. And here's what it looks like. That's what he found. It is valued at $3 million. Okay. (laughs) Does saying that kind of money cause your heart rhythm to change like it does mine? My spirit quickens a little bit, you know what I mean? And uh, I get fired up when I find five bucks in my pocket. I just go, this is going to be a great day. I don't even care if it's been washed. I'll just unfold that bad boy. Oh, it's so good. What a day. He found a rock that he thought was worth 200 that was worth $3 million. Okay, Rob's life changed when he discovered the value of the treasure that he had. And this is what happens in the life of a disciple when we truly see the kingdom and the gospel as the treasure that it is. It changes everything. The disciple sees the kingdom of God as the treasure. Now remember I said the kingdom of God is the sovereign rule and reign of God over everything in the universe. It is the triumphing of God through the cross of Christ over everything that would separate us from everlasting joy and life with him. So if that's the kingdom of God, if it is his rule and reign, if it is him overcoming everything between us and him so that we might have eternal joy in life, can you conceive in this life anything more valuable than that? Can you imagine anything in this life of greater worth than having the God of the universe rule on your behalf and remove everything that stands between you and him? I can't. The answer is obviously no. There is nothing like that treasure. And a disciple of Jesus Christ sees that the kingdom of God, and the gospel as the treasure that it is. And so what happens when we see it as the treasure? What changes? I think two things change when we see the kingdom of God as the treasure. The first thing is this. The treasure moves us from obligation to jubilation. It moves us from obligation to jubilation. What do I mean by that? I mean the treasure of the kingdom of God changes our motives. It changes our motives. Look again at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then say these three words with me. In his joy. Y'all are laying out like nobody's business. (laughs) Then what? In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It says that in his joy, he goes 
and he sells everything. There was not a sense of obligation, but rather of jubilation, of joy. It was with gladness that he sold everything that he had. The Greek word there for joy is chara. Chara. I know I'm not saying that right, but I'm trying. I'm from Kaysen. It's chara. Here, it's the same word that was used when uh, the angels opened up the heavens and scared those sweet shepherds to death and said, Behold, I bring you good news of great chara, of great joy. It is the same word that is used when the two Marys went to the tomb of Jesus. You remember they were, going to, uh, they were going to anoint his body. And when they get there, the angel was like, what are you doing here? He's not here. He is risen. Now go and tell the disciples. And it says, with great joy, they ran and declared all that they had seen and heard. It's the same word that, is, that Jesus uses when he said, this man saw a treasure. And in his joy, in his gladness, he went and sold everything he had so that he could have it. Because when we see the kingdom of God as the treasure that it is, it moves us from obligation to jubilation. Now listen, uh, I, one of the struggles that I have is, and one of the things that I, honestly is a burden to me is, a recognition that there are believers in the church, there are people who profess to be Christians, and they live their lives as believers out of a sense of obligation or duty to the Lord. The Christian life is something I have to do, and everything is done from a sense of duty. There's no gladness and no joy and no delight in the journey. Can I tell you something? If you meet a miserable Christian, they hadn't seen the treasure. If you meet a miserable Christian, they have not seen the treasure. Every act of obedience, sometimes it, 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 it's, it's like a burden. There are believers who have no joy in sharing the gospel. There's no joy in serving. There's no joy in tithing. There's no joy in going on mission. There's no joy in gospel community. There's no joy in gathering, in worship. It all just feels like obligation. It feels like something I have to do. But Jesus said that when you have truly seen the kingdom and experienced the gospel, obedience is no longer done from obligation, but rather from exceeding joy. So the question is, so how do I know if I have seen the kingdom as the treasure? How do I know? Ask yourself this question. God's word says we are to examine ourselves, right? Let's ask ourselves this question. Am I operating in my relationship with the Lord from a sense of obligation or from joy? Just ask yourself that question. Am I operating in my relationship with the Lord from a sense of obligation or from joy? Because here's what I know. Obligation dwells on the cost, but joy sees the worth. Obligation is going to focus on the inconvenience, but joy sees the significance. Obligation talks about the burden. Joy sees the blessing. Obligation says, I have to. Joy says, I get to. Obligation sees the trial, but joy sees the treasure. And the treasure moves us from obligation to jubilation. It's the first thing I think it does. 
Here's the second thing I think it does. The treasure resets the value of everything else in our life. The treasure resets the value of everything in our lives. What do I mean? The moment that this man who was in the field or this merchant, the moment that they saw the treasure and saw the pearl, suddenly everything they owned was forfeit in order to gain it. Everything they owned was forfeit in order to gain it. They sold everything. In the parable, Jesus basically said they became homeless. They sold the home. They sold the farm. This merchant meant he was a businessman. He sold the business. Nothing mattered except for getting the treasure. They sold it. reset the value of everything. Which means what? It means that for the disciple of Jesus Christ, God, let us get this. We must see the kingdom of God as so valuable that if we lose everything in this life, including our lives, it is a happy trade if we gain the kingdom. Come on. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and you have seen the treasure, you have valued the gospel, you have been transformed, and you are living in the incomparable value and worth of the kingdom. You see it as so valuable that if it cost you everything in this life, believer, including your life, that you would gladly give it and it is a happy trade if you gain the kingdom of God. That's what it means for the treasure to reset everything in my life. It resets everything. Paul said it like this. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he said, But whatever I gain, or whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing, say this word, worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul said, my life was filled with all kinds of stuff. But the moment, the moment I saw the treasure, it turned to garbage. It turned to something that I would gladly forfeit if I could just, if I could just know Jesus more and gain the treasure and gain the kingdom. That's, that's what happens in the mindset of a disciple who has seen the treasure of the kingdom of God. Everything in this journey of discipleship in Christ is going to cost. Jesus told us it was going to cost, but everything that we endure, every trial, every struggle, every persecution, every hardship, everything is worth it when we see the glory of the kingdom of God through the eyes that have been rescued by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, whatever was to my gain, I count it as loss if I can have Jesus. You remember that hymn, that old hymn, Give Me Jesus? Anybody ever grow up singing that? Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. How does God's word say it? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits its soul? What does he say? What, is it, what profit is it if you gain the whole world but lose the real treasure? It 
The disciple sees the kingdom as the treasure. And that treasure moves us from obligation to jubilation. And then the treasure resets the value of everything in our life. Here's the last thing that I want you to know about this point, then I'll move on, and that is this. The Lord takes joy in giving us the kingdom. God, that is... That is such a glad truth in my heart. If you look at Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's trying to help them not be anxious and not worry. He tells them, I don't want you to worry about what you, what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. Don't worry about that stuff. And those seem like very real things for the disciples to worry about. He's like, okay, so if we don't worry about that, what are we supposed to think on? Where are we supposed to fix our mind? And in Luke chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says this, instead, instead of those things, Seek the kingdom of God. Seek his kingdom. And then all these things will be added to you. Meaning what? All these things, I'll reset the value of all that if you'll seek the kingdom. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm. Believer, I just, I just want you to know that it is our Heavenly Father's delight It is his good pleasure. It gives him joy to give us the kingdom of God. He is generous toward us. Amen. He gives generously from an infinite storehouse of riches. He gives generously. He wants us to have this kingdom, this treasure that is of incomparable value and worth. He doesn't give from a sense of obligation. And he doesn't want us to receive and walk from a sense of obligation. He gives from joy. It is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So that in John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, what is that? That's the kingdom. God so loved us that he gave us the the gospel. He gave us the treasure. He gave us the kingdom that whoever would believe in him, which is what? Whoever would see the treasure and receive the kingdom, whoever would do that would would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Your heavenly father is good. He is kind. He is loving. He is generous. And it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And somebody needs to hear that this morning. The disciple sees the value and the worth of the kingdom of God. And once having seen that treasure, it moves us from obligation to joy and it resets the value of everything else in our life. But Jesus had a third parable that he he told these disciples. Look at verse 47 of uh, Matthew 13. He says this. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you, but that feels like a hard left turn from where we just were, doesn't it? I'm I'm, seriously, I read that and I'm like, there's the treasure, there's the kingdom, it's the value, it's the worth, it's amazing. And oh, by the way, the kingdom of God also means that there's coming a day when I'm going to separate the evil from the righteous. 
That feels like a hard left turn, but I want you to hear me this morning, believer. It is intrinsically linked. It is absolutely linked to what we just talked about. The kingdom of God, the reign, the sovereign, full, supreme, eternal reign of God is coming. The time is coming when he is going to separate the righteous from the evil and those who are not in Christ, which we would, I would say it this way, those who have not found the treasure are going to be separated and they're going to spend eternity in hell separated from God. Hell is a real place. It is not some poetic use of a word to, to elicit fear. It is not something conjured up in the minds of men. It is a real place. And Jesus says in that place, his words, it is a fiery furnace. And from there, there will be nothing but weeping and gnashing. It's, and gnashing of teeth. It's a real place. So what is this teaching? following these two parables of the treasure and the kingdom and the glory and the, the value and the worth. And now suddenly we're looking in and we're being told, oh, and by the way, when this kingdom comes in its fullness, this is a part. I want to ask you this. Do you live every day of your life as if hell truly is a real place? That it's real. It's not a figment of our imagination. It is a place that exists, and it will exist forever. And those who are there will be there forever. Do you live with the reality that it is a real place? That's the first thing I want to, question I want you to ask. We don't often think about it. But Jesus made his, he pulled them aside. He brought them into the house. And when he had just them, he said, by the way, this is real. And the day is coming when this is going to happen. So there's two questions I want to ask. The first one is, do you live your life as if hell is a reality? Here's the second thing. Do you live your life with the reality that Jesus really is coming again? And today could be the day that he's coming again. Do you live as if that's a reality? Or would your confession be like mine, that there's times that I just, I just ease into a neutral gear and I don't live as if hell is real, I don't live as if Jesus is coming back, and I live as if whatever I experience in this world is all that there is. I, am I the only one in the room that could just be honest and confess that? But Jesus wanted to be sure his disciples never slipped into that. He said the kingdom of God is going to be like if you bring that net in, you're going to start separating what's good and what's bad. And those who are separated, they are going to a place. So why is he telling them that this is coming after he's just told them about the treasure and the value and the worth of the kingdom? Here's why. Because for a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we have seen this treasure, if we have been transformed by this gl glorious gospel, if we have received and understand and live in the value and the worth of the kingdom, then there is built in us an urgency to see that treasure on display for those who are lost so that we can snatch them back from the gate of this place. You know people right now 
that if the reality of Jesus coming happened in this moment, they would spend their eternity separated from God in the fiery furnace, where for the rest of eternity there is nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know them and so do I. So what is God telling his disciples? He's saying, men, treasure the kingdom in such a way that there is a desperation in you to see that treasure magnified, that you see other people be uh, uh, illuminated, that it, it, that treasure awakens in them, that their eyes are opened to the treasure and their need for it, that you live in such a way that, that you value the kingdom and the gospel so much that nothing compares and if it costs you your life, it's a happy trade-off. Live that way so that people will know that there is a treasure and that Jesus is it. It's linked. Because if we value the treasure, we're going to want to see others value the treasure. As soon as that sapphire diamond was, or that sapphire was known, it didn't stay under Rob's bed anymore. You with me? It came out from under that bed and it went into a museum. You can go look at that bad boy today. Why? Because what we have received from Jesus Christ, we do not hide under a basket. We do not keep hidden from the world. And if you have settled in to a sinful comfort of not sharing the treasure, then I want to ask you, examine yourself. Have you seen the treasure? And listen, you got to know when I ask you, I'm asking me. Why is the kingdom and the gospel so valuable? Why is it called a treasure? It is a treasure because it has purchased my pardon. It has purchased my pardon. It did for me what I could not do for myself. I was lost, separated from God, hopeless could not fix the sin issue in my life. And the treasure of the gospel and, the, and the, what Jesus Christ has done did for me what I could not do. Paid a debt he did not owe. Covered for eternity the eternal consequence of my sin. And through the invitation for me to come and see, restored me back to God. It's a great hymn. We used to sing growing up called At Calvary. Anybody know that hymn? Mercy there was great and grace was free. Right. This, one of the standards of that hymn says this. It says, now I have given to Jesus everything. <laughs> and now I gladly own him as my king. And now my ransomed soul can only sing of Calvary. Why? Because mercy there was great and grace was free. And I found this treasure and pardon in that treasure. There was multiplied to me and I was pardoned. And right there in the glorious, incomparable value and worth of the gospel, right there, my burdened soul was liberated and I found liberty at Calvary. That's the value of the kingdom. So if you're here this morning, and, and your confession would be, Matt, I don't know that I've seen the treasure. I, I just don't know that I've seen the treasure. I see, I see the way the treasure is lived out in people's lives. I see that they, they have some joy. They have, they have something 
in them that I don't have in me. There, there's something different about the way they think and what they prioritize and what they value and what's important. And I want that. If that's you this morning, I'm telling you that is the Holy Spirit of God pulling at your heart. He is inviting you to come and see the treasure, to come and receive the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and let it change your life. Let it move you from obligation to joy. Let it reset the value of everything and let it give you a holy burden to see it magnified and lived out. If, you, if, if your confession would be you have not received the treasure, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus was speaking to a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came and he wanted to ask all kind of important questions, but Jesus jumped right to the heart of the matter and he said, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That, that applies to every single one of us. Unless you are born again, what does that mean? It means that I at some point in my life, I have recognized that I am a sinner and that I am separated from God, and, and that that sinful condition has caused me to be eternally separated, and there's nothing I can do about it. But my eyes have been opened to Jesus Christ as the one who can take my sin and in its place make me righteous. God's Word says that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And there's been this moment where I saw that treasure and I've received it as my own and I've not been perfect, but bless God, from that moment to this moment, I've never been the same. That's what it means. If that hasn't happened for you, in a minute we're going to stand and we're going to start singing and I pray to God you'd have the courage to step out and get down here. Take one of us by the hand. Our wives are going to be with us. I just want you to come. I want you to come and just say, I need, I need the treasure. We'll help you do that. Maybe this morning your confession would be, I, uh, Pastor, I'm a believer, and I love Jesus, but the reality is I have let other things take on a greater value in my life. And I need to remember the treasure that found me. I need to remember the treasure that changed me, that I discovered. And I, need, I need to let it reset the value. And I need to move out of obligation back to joy. Hey, we, we've been there. David was there. What did he say in Psalm 51 after he fell? He said, God in heaven, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? What was his prayer? God, move me from obligation to joy. Reset the value of all of this. Maybe that's you this morning. You need him to restore the joy. You can come and we'll pray with you for that. For some of you this morning, you've been a believer, you've been saved, but you have not taken the step of baptism. And every week you hear us talk about baptism, and every week you think, ah, oh, that's not for me. Ah, uh, that's not. It's for you. It's for you. It's that opportunity that you have to publicly declare in front of your spiritual family that you have found the treasure. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you've never been baptized after that, you need to come and let us know that. We'll help you take that next step. So whatever it is that God's calling you to do this morning, my prayer for you all week has just been this, that you would have the courage to be obedient. Courage to be obedient. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when we discover it, we sell all that we have, and it is a glad trade-off to get the kingdom. Father, I love you and I'm so thankful for your love for us and 
God, I'm praying right now that as we worship, as we respond, God, that you would move. Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would fall in this room. And that if we are here and we need to step out in obedience and come receive the treasure or come allow you to reset the value of everything in our life, God, or come and be baptized, whatever it is that we would come, that we would obey and we would come. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for the power of your word. We pray in your perfect name. Amen. Church, let's stand, let's worship, let's respond. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.